God's house this morning and to him is the gathering and uh, the, the thing that fascinates me about coming to Jesus is that um, uh, so much pours out of us the potential for what God wants to do with ordinary people's lives as we connect with an extraordinary God is huge and that reflects itself in spiritual ways but also in practical ways and we thank God for all that he's doing in the life of the church I want to turn your attention this morning and however you access that you go to John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 14. It's going to read for a moment. Just to put you at ease, it's uh, 17 minutes to 12, and you're probably thinking, flipping that how long you know, time we're going to finish? And the reality is, I can't guarantee that we're going to finish at 12, but we're sure we're not going to finish at half past. And uh, so, you know, if we go to about 5 past, 10 past, I'm really going to race this through this morning. So please don't panic. I'm aware of time. Uh, I'm aware that it's a busy time of the year. I'm aware that there's lots of distractions that took at our heart and our spirit. You've already heard this morning, friends, that the, the power of the Word of God in our lives is never to be underestimated. And I think it's appropriate that as we really embrace the Christmas season, we really root it in the Word of God. So John 1.14 says this, The Word, bear in mind the Word refers to Jesus because that's how he's described in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was God. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling amongst us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Thank you. We'll put the, put the slide back on if that's okay, uh, Gemma. The Word became flesh. This morning we're going to talk for a moment about the wonder of Christmas. It really is an exciting time of the year, uh, and it really is a time where uh, there are so many things that are taking place, a time for holiday, a time for celebration, a time maybe for some relaxation as well, a time for worship, a time for us to connect again with all that God has done for us in his son, Jesus Christ. And it really is an amazing miracle that Jesus, the word of God, became flesh. It's what theologians describe as the incarnation. We talked a little bit last week about incarnate ministry where we make the reality of Jesus true in our worlds. But one of the great the carol writers, and some of the carols are good and seem perhaps not so good, but one of my favourites, Heart the Herald, says, Hail the incarnate deity, God coming to the earth. Let me just say for the record that it's very, very unlikely that December the 5th was what at the birth of Jesus. And you may have somebody feeling a bit clever at school or at college or at work trying to wrap you up in knots. Don't worry about it. There are all sorts of reasons why we dropped on the 25th of December to celebrate the birth of Jesus. Really not sure that the date is that important, but why we celebrate it is, of course, very, very important. And of course, let's nail it once and for all. There are many things that are associated with Christmas that have no root whatsoever in the Bible. I point to that tree. You won't find it anywhere. Bells, lights, presents, and we get all worked up about it at times, and some people do have some strongly held views about certain things, and I'm utterly respectful of that. But don't try and drive, don't try and bring up a Bible verse for a Christmas tree, friends, you'll be looking for a long time. You know, it's not there. It really isn't there. It just adds a little bit. Some of this is come out of tradition, some of this is come out of heritage, some of this is come out of culture. It just adds a little bit to all that we're enjoying in terms of the Christmas season. Don't get worked up about it. And then, of course, you need to realise that what we define as the Christmas story in the Bible didn't come at 
it, it, it doesn't come from the Bible in the sense of being in the text, but close from the text. In other words, if I can say this morning, to one degree, there's no such thing as a Christmas story. It was just the reality of the declaration of the birth of Jesus Christ in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago that has married with the journey of how we celebrate it in culture. And the two have come together. And yet people get all sort of worked up and intense and full and proud about all this stuff. Just enjoy it. Just enjoy what we define as the Christmas story. Of course, somebody said once, they're even trying to bring religion to Christmas now. Well, the reality is, friends, in a secular society, we're not trying to bring it in. They're trying to take it out. And the fact is that we need, as Christian believers, to stand for the wonderful, the wonderful truth of Christmas that Jesus Christ, God, came as a babe to the earth. So enjoy those things. Don't let people wrap you for knots about it. Don't make it you know, sort of something that, uh, you know, you'll, you'll stake your life on. It's not a hill to die on, whether, whether Christmas trees are good or bad. It really isn't. Move on. Enjoy it. For the glory of God, for the praise of his name. There's something far greater than that. And here again is a little cliche, but it's true. Jesus really is the reason for the season. And, uh, As we come to this this morning, I want us just to understand for a moment that we have to wrestle with a few things. Christian introduced to us a, uh, a quote some time ago into uh, arena leadership and staff um, from a fine North American uh, leader of a great church called Adam Stanley. And the quote was this, there are many things that we confront in, in, in our Christian life and certainly in the context of Christian church that our attention to manage not a problem to solve. When you understand at times that certain things are tensions to manage, not problems for you to sort out, it's very liberating. Lewis says there's always going to be some things that we've got with us, the tensions to manage, they'll never be solvable. It goes on something here. No. Don't be clear. <laughs> Um, and the reality is that as we come to as we come to Christmas, if I can just sort of take that, that thought a little bit further, here's the truth. We have a theological tension to manage, it's not a problem to solve. But let me just highlight it for you for a moment, because Jesus is God. In other words, Jesus equals divinity. In the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God, and that word became flesh. The Bible says that I and my Father are one. And uh, many times in the, in the Bible, Jesus was confronted about the stance that he took with regard to his deity. But here's the truth. Jesus said that he, because people were speaking to him, saying, well, you want to know what God's like? He said, you've seen, you've seen me, you've also seen the Father. The revelation of what God is like is revealed in the Son, Jesus, through his ministry in the earth. Isn't it fascinating that every false religion, every religious cult and creed that sits outside of Christianity, without exception, attacks the deity of Jesus Christ. It's not a new thing. You get those people knocking on your door saying that they believe in Jesus, but they don't believe in God. They didn't make it up. 
But you go back to the third century and a guy called Arius, who was propagating that stuff. They're talking Arianism, where they define Jesus simply within his humanity. But here's what the Bible says in 2 John 9. He says that anybody that does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Here's the truth. If you're wrong about Jesus, you're wrong about everything. Because he's the one that centers everything that we do, believe, and live in, in Jesus Christ. It's why we talk about Christocentric Christianity. It revolves around him. He's the one that holds all things together. You may have heard Kat this morning say that on her journey and discovery of faith, she, she searched in other areas. Please hear me this morning, friends. I'm not saying this arrogantly or belligerently. I'm saying it on the authority of the revealed Word of God. That may be your journey this morning, but you need to run to the person of Jesus Christ. Still the way, the truth, and the life. He's God. But then also Jesus is man. Not only his divinity, but also his humanity. Because the Word became flesh. He wasn't a phantom, he wasn't a ghost, he wasn't an illusion, he was a real man. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 to 8, that even though he thought it not robbery to be equal with God, he took upon him the, 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 the form of a man and became obedient unto death, even death on the cross. He humbled himself and became obedient to that death. And at the, at the core of this being, uh, and, and at the core of this blessing was something that speaks to us even today. You see, people say, well, why did Jesus come as a baby? Because I think God was communicating something to us, friends, about the values of the kingdom. And the values of the kingdom are rooted in humility, in meekness, in servanthood, and in modesty. Much to the irritation of a 21st spirit age that says life's about trampling on people, getting your own way, bigging it up. Being arrogant, but that's not the kingdom. He came as a baby. He came as a baby. Friends, if we'll learn to humble ourselves, if we'll learn to run to obscurity, if we'll learn to let God do his thing in his time, he'll do all the exalting. He doesn't have to knock any doors down. But when he does it, people take notes. So the theologians have wrestled and debated and talked and fallen out over the years. Regarding where do we sit with this theological tension to marriage? It's not a problem to solve, it never will be. Between Jesus' divinity and Jesus' humanity. And I suggest, friends, today that we live with the tension of not stretching it too far either way. Here's the truth when we think of Jesus as God, we come in worship, we come in honor, we come in glory, we come in submission. We bow before Him as the band led us this morning. When we think of his, uh, when we think of his uh, uh, earthliness, when we think of his humanity, then we recognise that we can look at Jesus as an example. In fact, in 1 Peter 2.21, he says, I've come to live as an example for you. We think of his inspiration. When he says that I've come to do the will of the Father, without that person of God in me, and without the Spirit of God on me, as we talked about last week, I can do nothing. We can be inspired by that. And we can be comforted, because the Bible says that Jesus was tried in all points like we are, yet without sin. He was tried in those points, friends, in his humanity. And in the power of the Spirit, he overcome all of those things, and lived a sinless
us life. People say, you know, you don't understand, mate. You've never gone through it. I might not have gone through it, but here's the truth. Jesus has. And he totally, totally gets it. And we can run to it again and again, friends, because his humanity was not a hoax. His humanity was not something that wasn't real. He was totally locked in to the limitations of that 33-year walk in the earth. And he did it in the power of the Spirit. The reality is the two work together. We could talk about kenosis theory from Philippians chapter 2 today. That would really cause you to place over, wouldn't it? You know, by how far did he empty himself? And all of those things, but it's attention to manage not a problem to solve. And I encourage you as we come to the wonder of Christmas, friends, to over these next few days, at times be taken up by the fact that Jesus is God. Worshipping with every fibre of your being. Also to think about the miracle of the babe coming to earth. And reveling the inspiration and example of his humanity so that we might be impelled within our own lives to live as Jesus in the earth. As we come to this season, many Christians, particularly from an Anglican persuasion, often describe from the beginning of December to Christmas Eve as Advent. The word Advent literally means arrival or coming. Some people describe the second coming of Jesus as the second Advent. And so people prepare their hearts. I've spoken to one or two of my Anglican bigger friends at times. They talk to me about Advent. And they talk about this whole sense of spiritual preparation in their hearts. Go through a series of readings. They prepare themselves within their own journey to think again of the wonderful arrival of Jesus the babe to the earth. And it's very, very real to them. Some of you may like and want to navigate that similar journey. We put some Advent readings on the website of Arena this month to help us do that. But there are four major things that speak about that. I'm going to run through them really quickly. So I want you to grab them this morning in the wonder of Christmas. In what Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us. The first one is love. The Bible says that God is love. You know, Sunday school, as we used to call it then, kids church or taking over the world church or wherever it is nowadays, but but uh, it was very formative in my spiritual journey. And the first word, the first verse I ever read, I can see it now. We used to call all the teachers on Clubs and Auntie, it was a more different age. And uh, so this lady who went to live in Australia taught us my first ever Bible verse. She wrote it on the chalkboard, and it seemed to go on forever. It was John 3.16. But God, this is how we really learned it, this is the real one. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's the real King James version. Never forgot it. He's love. He's love. He's love. Friends, he proved his love. It was not just articulated by words, but it was demonstrated in words. The Bible says that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. He loved us, he loved us, he loved us. The Bible says that our punishment was laid upon him. You may be in church this morning, and I'm sure that God's already spoken to you. You might think, I'm too bad for God, I'm too far gone for God. I've let him down so many times. You're not. You're not. He loves you. It was the great writer, Philip Gatsby, that says, there's nothing we can do to make God love us more, and there's nothing we can do to make God love us 
and flat, and on flat monothelia, as you know, sort of set its course over Scotland and was blown out of the sky over Lockerbie. Now it was never to be seen again. But this platform, movingly, deeply, sincerely, Pastor John Mosley said that even in all of that, even in the dark times, even in the great sense of loss, they know a peace that passes all understandings of the king's mortalities. He drove it down a little bit more than that. He says, really, the literal meaning of that is that it's a peace that makes no sense. Christian and me aren't naive enough to realize, friends, that even this year, and going to next year, there were people in our church having to navigate some storms. Sometimes unexpected, sometimes even unprepared for, sometimes things that literally come right out of the blue. But here's the truth. The divinity of Jesus and the humanity of Jesus colliding with our hearts, even in those situations, is a piece that makes absolutely no sense. The fourth thing of Advent, of course, is joy. And the angels spoke over the shepherds and said, We bring good news of great joy. Just have this thought in evangelical circles some years ago that people experienced deep joy. I want to tell you, for some folks, it was so deep you could never find it. It really, really was. I'm not saying that we ought to walk around with cheesy grins on friends, but we ought to communicate something with joy. We really, really did. One of the quieter members of our church simply gave a great welcome to someone one day. Just a connection point to take them on a journey of life. Joy. Joy. Don't let it be so deep that nobody can find it. We understand it's not superficial either, fence, but it's an overwhelming sense of the goodness and gladness of God in our lives that causes us to know as near my decline the joy of the Lord is actually. As I wrap up the message today, friends, I'm just going to draw a response from this. It's threefold. The wonder of Christmas. I just ran through it very quickly, and I hope I've not dealt with that inappropriately either. But here's the truth. The wonder of Christmas, friends, is about a rootedness in the eternal word of God. It's about running to a person called Jesus Christ, who's always been God and always will be, the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Divine Jesus, worthy of worship forever and ever, Yet just over 2,000 years ago, in the great, amazing, loving purposes of God, came as a baby to the earth. All of the virgin men lived a sinless life for the praise and honor of the Lord. Why did he do it? Because he wanted to connect with people. Hebrews talks about the joy that was set before him. Here we are, 2,000 years later, in Arena Church, on a Sunday morning, lots of things we've shared, great story. Encouragements to be generous, worship from our hearts. Why? Because the baby came. We run to the fact that he's divine, but we also run to the fact that he's human. How do we respond? How do we respond to this defining, discreet, shaking moment that changed the world forever? Well, I suggest that first of all, we receive so welcome the gift. With a great sense of confidence this morning, friends, I want to say that if you've never become a follower of Jesus Christ, the journey can begin today. We're not preaching some cheap, come to Jesus, walk off into the sunset and be happy ever after. We understand the challenges 
Remember, Sam, there are things to negotiate. We're going to tell you this morning that you will never be the same again. Receive, so welcome the gift. Imagine Christmas morning, one of your family giving you a gift. You're tossing it over your shoulder and saying, no, I'm not interested. Discarding the love that has been poured into the preparation of that gift. I want to tell you, friends, that soft in our 21st century society treats the gift of God, Jesus. They just toss it away, dismissively, quietly, flippantly, and unthinkingly. I want you this morning to receive the gift, to welcome Jesus Christ to the very centre of your life. God will bless you. So just secondly, that we respect the gift and so we worship the Lord Jesus. I wonder this morning whether, like Cat, you become a little bit strained in your relationship, a point condemnation on you. And so now the joy of your salvation's dried up a little bit. God's just drawing you right back to the center of why you do what you do, why you live, how you live. And this morning we freshly respect the gift and worship all the God's done. Thirdly, I suggest that we reflect as our witness to the gift. You may never be a preacher, friends, but the reality is you are a preacher. You declare something from your life in terms of words and works that impact people without your even reality. The wonder of Christmas. You may say, well, for me, the wonder of Christmas is a, a wide-eyed child receiving a gift from mummy, daddy, on Christmas morning. The wonder of Christmas for me is to meet with my family. The wonder of Christmas for me is to... Uh, Engage with friends that I've not seen all year from different parts of the country, even from different parts of the world. The wonder of Christmas for me is to sing the great carols in a beautiful atmosphere of worship to the Lord. The wonder of Christmas for me is to hear people singing in the streets. It may be all of those things, and the reality is they're all wonderful. But the wonder of Christmas is this, friends, that Jesus is God. Jesus is man. I'll put that as a glory. Why is that? What do you say?